This morning we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, the word of life. Thanks be to God. So last Sunday, we began a new sermon series on Easter Sunday morning. I'm calling it Joining the Resurrection Conspiracy. Now, I'm not using conspiracy in the terms of someone pulled off a hoax or did something to mislead us about the truth of the resurrection. I'm rather using it in a more basic way. I suggested we think of words like inspire or expire or respiration because they all share a common Latin root word with conspire, which means to breathe or with breath. So I'm suggesting that those who are part of the resurrection conspiracy are those who share a unity of breath and effort. Those of us who are ready to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, we are part of the resurrection conspiracy if we're ready to testify to the power of God at work in Christ and that God's love is unconquerable even by death. So I'll ask last week, I'll ask again today for you to contemplate whether or not you are ready to join the resurrection conspiracy. Are you ready to live your life in such a way that it proclaims the power of God? That it tells the story of God's love at work in the world. Now in the Bible, we have several letters from some first century conspirators. Those who were ready to share this good news. Those who were willing to give their all so that somebody else might come to know what God has done in Christ. And tell the story of Jesus Nazareth walking the earth but finally being arrested and tortured, crucified, died, buried. And then yet on the third day, somehow miraculously through the power and love of God, has been raised from the dead. And as you heard Reverend Langston reading one of those testimonies of those first disciples when they're experiencing that Christ is alive, that Christ has risen, and how Thomas struggled to believe that it could be true, and then all of a sudden, a second appearance 
amongst the disciples and Thomas comes to believe and proclaims his faith aloud and goes on to live his life in such a way that others may know that Christ is alive. We mark this Sunday after Easter as Confirmation Sunday. There'll be more than a dozen students and their families in the next service. But I want us to think about them, even though they're not sitting down front and not coming to the altar railing in this service, because really you are a part of their confirmation process. Most of them were baptized at this church. If you were here on the Sunday they were baptized, you made a pledge to do all you could to increase their faith. You said you would pray for them and that you would be one of those that surrounded them with the Christian community of love and forgiveness so that they may walk in the way that leads to life, that they might be a faithful disciple for the rest of their lives. Most of them baptized as infants, but now sixth graders coming to that age of responsibility where they've been given this opportunity to stand up and profess their faith, and for the church to confirm them in this process of taking a step in faith. Probably the most dramatic image for someone taking an important step of faith is someone who has not been a part of a church community, somehow having a dramatic experience with God and Christ, and then their life is changed from evil and terrible things to goodness and wonder. And that happens for some people. But in my experience as a pastor over these last several decades, is that's pretty rare. Most people come to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior through a much more gradual process, where over weeks, often months, sometimes years, they have thought about who they are and who God is and how we're related, and how we're connected. And then at some point after this long process, they make a decision for Christ. They make a decision to claim the name Christian and to say, I am a follower of His. I believe that God is alive and at work in the world through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We also know from research that most Christians in America make a statement of faith or profess their faith or have a salvation experience before the age of 18. Huge majority of Christians in America came to faith before they came to majority age. So those of us who are a part of a methodical faith tradition have a confirmation process to help these young people take the steps where they can come to this point of professing their faith. Our confirmation experience provides a solid grounding in the history of the church across the ages, looks at all the major themes in the Bible. These young people have been meeting since last August, so we give them ample time to ask questions, to think about what they believe, to hear about the beliefs of the church, to learn from the best Christian thinkers from across the centuries to ask whatever questions they have, to have dialogue with their peers and with different adult leaders so that finally they might come to this intentional step of saying, I claim that name Christian. I want to be a part of the Christian family, and I'm a part of God's family through 
this individual church. So they're making a decision, and the church is making a decision as well, that they are ready to confirm their faith and to take greater responsibility in their lives for how they walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yet in all of this, it's easy to focus on the individual, but we believe the most important player in all this is not the individual, but our God, who we believe has been at work in this person's life since they were born. If you think back to John Wesley, you've read about his theology, you've read about these three movements of grace that he talked about. This process that God leads us through in Christ. Wesley talked about the first movement of grace being provenient grace. That is a grace that comes before. Methodists believe that God's at work in our lives before we recognize it, before we acknowledge it. We baptize infants in that spirit because we believe God is already at work in that young person's life. But then Wesley says there does come that moment where we need to recognize that God is at work in our lives. And when we come to recognize that God is alive and at work, offering us love and forgiveness, mercy and compassion, direction and wisdom, and we accept that, it's called justifying grace or a moment of justification or more common today, salvation. Some Christian traditions put such emphasis on that, everything else disappears because they're focused on that one moment of taking that step of faith, of claiming the name Christian and professing that you want to be a follower of his. But Wesley did not stop there. He believed we are just getting started when we get to that moment. And then he described what God does in our lives for the rest of our lives. This exciting experience of God shaping and forming us ever more into the image of Christ. Wesley called it sanctifying grace or sanctification. This idea that God is shaping and molding us and changing us, drawing us ever closer. And yet filling us ever more with divine love so that finally all action, all motivation, all thoughts are of God and God's love and how we can share that love with someone else. Sometimes he called it being perfected in love or going on to perfection. It's the work of God, alive in the world and alive in our lives. When we pray for these young people, when they come forward for confirmation, we will pray that the Holy Spirit work within them, that they might lead their lives as a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We're praying not only that God work in them today, but that God continually works in them throughout their lives and that they will walk in the way of Christ as a faithful disciple from here on. In 1 Peter, in that text we read this morning, there's a summary of the story in verse 3. It goes like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We want our confirmants to know that, but we often have to remind one another of that. 
that God has given us new birth and a new life and continually fuels our hope for living despite whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. This early conspirators claiming the name Christian and we're being invited by these writings to do the same over and over again. Once we have done that, our lives are changed at our best it becomes the defining story for the rest of our lives. This story of God's love being the most powerful force in the universe. Unfading, undefiled, he says in the text. Leading us to an indescribable joy, a fullness of life. That's our story, that God has done this and revealed this to us through Jesus Christ. And now as followers of His, we have this wonderful opportunity to share the story with others. A pastor friend of mine shared a story about something that happened in his church. He was a little disturbed by it. There was a woman in his church that had been a pillar of the church, faithful and servant-minded in so many ways and every Sunday worshiper and giver and volunteered here and there to serve and then she was transferred out of town for her job and so a few weeks after she had been transferred she sent this email describing to him all about the move and how she was getting settled and how the job was going and then at the end of the email she surprised him by saying I have decided no longer to call myself a Christian he couldn't believe it what what was she saying she had decided to no longer call herself a Christian that's what it said she said there were so many people and so many ideas and images out there that went under the umbrella of Christian that she didn't agree with and didn't define her faith, that she was just not going to use the label anymore. She wrote to him that she still believes in God, that she still considers herself a follower of Jesus Christ, but that she wasn't going to claim the name Christian any longer. Let's think about that for a moment. Oh, we might be able to identify with her in that there are other people that are Christians who don't profess their faith or explain their faith or live their faith the same way that we do. What then happens to Christianity? If we begin to say in our hearts we are Christian, but not say to the world that we're Christian. I began to wonder, what if John Wesley, founder of Methodism, decided he was no longer going to be publicly a Christian? Or if his mother, Susanna Wesley, who was the primary faith influencer in his life, who shaped and formed him in the faith, had decided she's no longer going to use the name Christian? What would be of the millions of adherents of Methodism over the centuries if they had decided not to claim the name? What if these early witnesses from which we have read this morning and others decided that they weren't going to share that, that they were just not going to witness to the resurrection, they decided not to share their experience of Christ alive? What then happens to the faith? Would we even know the story? Would we know the God 
who is alive through Christ, alive in our lives? Would we know of the power of God? Would we be able to sense the presence of God and recognize God at work in our own lives? Would we even know the story of Jesus of Nazareth walking the earth, reaching out to all kinds of people in all kinds of places with love and mercy and compassion, forgiving and healing, guiding and directing? Would we even have the opportunity to make a decision about joining the resurrection conspiracy? What would have happened to all of us? What would happen to young people? We often on Confirmation Sunday think about what we've done for these young people who have moved into the church now officially on this Sunday. But what of the gifts they bring to us? Even just here this morning, the anthem, the psalmist, the music, their sharing of their lives and their talents, they bless the community, they enrich all of us, even as we support them in the faith. I think, oh my. What if everyone who was here began to decide, oh, there's other Christians that are not just like us, so we're not even going to use the name. When the young woman decides not to use the name Christian, many others lose. But she loses, she too loses something. She loses the positive experience of life in community of the nurture and encouragement, of the communal prayer and praise, of the love in which we grow and are shaped. She loses all of that. What a loss she is in for as she decides not to use the name Christian. Have you ever been whitewater rafting? I've had opportunity to go river rafting before. It's an exciting experience. Before you get in the water, there's a guide there that tells you about how this is all going to work and what to do with your paddle and what to do if you capsize. Or the woman who was getting ready to do that, I read her story recently. She said as the guide was going over the safety procedures and all that could happen and how you were to respond, all she could experience was fear and fear and more fear rising up in her as he described to him what was exciting to her, what became terrifying. So she began to ask questions. Now, what do we do if that happens? What do we do if this happens? She said his answer was the same thing every time. He said, right there, you can see it. There's a rope tied onto the side of your raft. If you're flipped out of the raft, what you want to do is grab the rope or find the rope. If you get scared as you're going along, just grab the rope. If your raft capsizes, look for the rope. Whatever happens, you are to hold on to the rope. It is your lifeline. And would you believe, unfortunately for her, An unexpected storm came up that day, and sure enough, her raft flipped, and she capsized and was thrown into the icy cold water. But you know what she remembered? Find the rope! And she grabbed the rope and just hung on until the raft finally floated over to where she could get out of the water, and she survived and was fine. 
Jesus Christ is our robe. Jesus Christ is our lifeline. Hold on to the robe. Hold on to the lifeline. No matter whatever happens, your job is to hold on to the rope. The next service, when the confirmands are here, I'll be addressing them specifically at this point, reminding them, hold on to the rope. You're going to go through some rocky times. You're going to go through some rough water. Your raft might capsize. You might feel the fear that the young woman who wrote the story felt. But the rope will still be there. You can always grab a hold of the rope. You can always have a lifeline to the Lord your God. Oh, it'll be a day of rejoicing for these young people and their families. And after the service, we'll have a great celebration and a lunch for them. But this is one step in their faith journey. An important and momentous step, but just one step. They have a lifetime of faith ahead of them. They have a lifetime ahead of them. As this author describes it in verse 8 and 9. Although you have not seen Christ, you can love Christ because others in the community have told you about Christ. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you can rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. Might it be true for the confirmands? Might it be true for each and every one of us? Amen. And thanks be to God.